Will Hardy, head coach of the Utah Jazz on the podcast. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm JP Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. NMLS number 3112, equal housing lender. Yes, I'm here. I did it. I got the head coach of the Utah Jazz on the podcast. He dishes on the 37-45 year. It was after his end-of-season availability. You can watch Justin Zanuck and Danny Ainge talk about how they saw the season as well. It's all on the Utah Jazz YouTube channel. They talked about team needs, what they're looking forward to for the NBA Draft Combine. I want to catch up with Will Hardy because first year, how he settled in, how he got a team to have 52 of 82 games have clutch situations within five points in the last five minutes of the games. That's absurd. So I wanted to get deep into it. We talked about Lowry, Walker, Ochai, everybody, and hear what he has on his desk to remind himself when he's out there coaching. I think you'll enjoy it. There's no big preamble for me. Five stars, nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. It's Will Hardy on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. When it comes time to move, it's always a hassle. Loading everything in the truck, hoping the priceless antique from your mother doesn't break, and trying to juggle the kids and dog in the middle of it all is enough to drive anyone crazy. But it doesn't have to be that way. The friendly, background-checked movers at Bailey's Moving and Storage have the expertise to move your family across town or even around the world. So when it's time to move, think Bailey's Moving and Storage. Call today at 801-218-2640 or check them out online at baileysallied.com. obviously a big transition um, going from assistant coach to head coach and all the different directions that you get pulled in every day. I've talked a little bit publicly about the feeling of responsibility of feeling responsible for everyone and everything that goes on in this building is something that you can't simulate. Um, I think you tell yourself like you're going to be able to compartmentalize things and not let certain things bother you or roll around in your head, and that's just not the case. Um, it's kind of a constant uh, worrying about making sure that everybody's doing okay and that everything's flowing smoothly. Uh, but definitely took some adjusting to. But uh, I'd say at this point it's it's sunk in. I'm really looking forward to this off season and kind of sifting through the year and what I think we did well and areas that we can improve as a staff and a team. And, it's not just, you know, the parts that fans see every night. Like, it's not just about improving the offense and defense. There's tons of stuff that we do behind the scenes from how we run our meetings to um, when we meet in small groups, full team, all that stuff like that I want to just try to review and fine-tune a little bit this summer. So looking forward to that. I'm sure there will be a whole different comfort level going to the next training camp. What is the step up? Because I'm sure you come in with your own philosophies, what you want to do, but then players react differently to actual coaching. How do you adjust to that 
sort of thing, having the illusion of control, but just being a coach while watching the game unfold. Yeah, I always try to come at it as you're coaching people, not players. You do have to find a way to reach each individual. Everybody has a little bit of a different thing that makes them tick. Um, and so I think as far as like, how do you get the team concepts to them? We try to stay pretty big picture and we don't nitpick every little thing. I think you have to allow some breathing room for the individuality of each player to come out. Um, you're trying to help them fit together as a group. You're almost kind of guiding them at times in terms of showing them how they can fit together. And then you need to let them work through some of that stuff in the game. These are the best basketball players in the world. And they got here playing in some ways their way. So it's hard to tell somebody, hey, all that stuff that got you to the NBA, don't do that anymore. Um, it's our job to sort of help them coexist and help them fit together. But it's hard. You have to be ready to admit to yourself that you were wrong, uh, to admit to the team that you were wrong. Something we talked a lot about this year with our group is not keeping score. Um, I, I'm just not a fan of when people start getting into, and this isn't anything in life, any relationship, but especially in a team atmosphere of, oh, you know, you didn't yell at JP last Tuesday when he didn't get back on defense, and today you're yelling at me like, well, what's up with that? Like, I'm just not going to do that all year. And, you know, hey, coach, that was a terrible play you drew. And it's like, yeah, well, that was a terrible pass you threw in the third quarter. Like, we're just – it's unproductive for us to to keep score. So we all have to have enough humility and recognition that we're all going to make mistakes. It's an imperfect game, and I'm going to do some things that – are not totally correct all the time. And I'm going to, oh, that was a, I shouldn't have called timeout then, or that I didn't like that play I drew. And it's on me to learn from those things and take my piece of responsibility, just like it's on the players to take their piece of responsibility. So, um, you know, there are plenty of times during the year that, especially in your first year as a head coach, you, you had these ideas in your head of, oh, this will work, and then it doesn't work. And so you have to be willing to say, hey, that didn't work, and we got to change it instead of being, stubborn and trying to make sure that you know everybody knows you were right even when you weren't how different are you of a head coach from game one against the nuggets to game 81 against the nuggets at home like how how has it changed for you yeah i think there's a different comfort level for sure um you have developed sort of some systems in the game of when I'm talking to the assistants about different things and who I'm asking about what and um you know the communication with the players is obviously at a totally different level because we've we've developed some deeper connections and the relationships are a lot stronger game 81 than they were in game 1 so it was a big difference uh you still get the the anxiousness right before the game. You know, it's like any game you play in or coach in, that competitive part of you, like you get the nerves before the game. But I would say just the overall comfort level, way higher. Um, you know, again, going into game one, like you don't know what to expect. There's all this buildup. Um, you're hired as the new head coach. 
it's your first head coaching job. And so there is that element of you that's like, am I going to look like an idiot out here? Like, am I going to totally screw this game up today? And everybody's going to go, oh, this guy stinks. Um, you know, so you're going in zero and zero and you have nothing to fall back on. I think, you know, at least in game 81, I knew that we'd won a few games. Um, there is that part of your brain that will tell you before game one, like you're never going to win a game. You're going to go 0-82. You're going to be the worst team in NBA history. Um, so, yeah, it was a, a huge difference. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to what the feeling is going to be game one of next year. I'm curious to see how that how that feels, having a full season under my belt and then a full off season to kind of decompress on it. So it'll be fun. And there's no way to simulate being a head coach in NBA unless – your head coach in the NBA, you can't be as much as summer league gives you a little bit of a, right. I'm the head coach here, but that's still not the same for a regular season. Coaching an NBA game and being the person that, you know, you're calling the timeouts and you go and you sit down in the timeout, everybody's looking at you like, all right, what are we going to do now? Um, it's fun. It's fun. I, I try to maintain that mindset as well that like, this is the good stuff. Um, you know, I've, I've worked, I've worked hard. I've gotten very lucky to be in this position, um, to be the head coach of the Utah jazz. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying my best to, to enjoy it along the way. You know, I take it very seriously and I prepare and I want to win every game, but, um, I also try to remind myself that like, I'm probably the best version of myself when I'm doing it with a little bit of joy. Um, and not getting overly tight. So it's, uh, yeah, man, it's a, I, I can't really describe the feeling. Um, I will say though, one correction for everybody that said this this year, every person that said that I'm living out my dream, it's not true. My dream, like a lot of people is supposed play? to play in the NBA and I missed. So that dream was a massive failure. And so this was as close as I could get. So I had obviously a similar dream. Yeah, I wanted to play, but I'm five eight. That's never going to happen. Isaiah Thomas played in the NBA. Yeah, he was. He had skills. Yeah, I okay. have zero skills. I was going to say, so don't blame your height. Maybe. Okay. okay. Um, I was going to blame genetics <laughs> and my parents. You know. Oh, because, good. Let's blame. Them. Yeah, you know, therapy. <laughs> but um, you know, I wanted to play, but the closest I could get would be broadcasting or or doing a podcast or doing something like that. So that's how I manufactured that fun for myself. Yeah you created and and you said during the season fun is underrated yeah how did you create a environment a culture where you come into work and you're having fun because i i know i'm having fun when i go in to do a podcast but that takes a little bit of something to make sure everybody's on the same page yeah it's right or wrong the temperature of the head coach impacts the building um if i come in and i'm mad cranky stomping around everybody gets a little bit on edge that's just the way team sports generally works um i'm not saying that that's right but it it just kind of is and so i think the number one thing that i tried to do every day was i wanted to try to come in and have a mindset of all right whatever i'm frustrated about i need to use that frustration and still coach the team and tell them the things that we need to be better at and tell the coaches the things that we can do better. Um, but I also needed to make sure that the way I carried myself every day 
did not create this environment where everybody's tight. Uh, I can't come in looking worried, acting worried, acting nervous, acting, uh, you know, doom and gloom because we've lost a couple of games. Um, you know, I have to, I have to be the person that comes in and when the guys see me, there's like a hopefulness and a, you know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to laugh at myself. Number one, like I'm, I crack jokes about myself, a little self-deprecation every now and then is not bad. And then, you know, I crack jokes with the players. So I'm like, you just, it's all about how you interact with everybody every day because, uh, you know, we're in a world now where everybody's very caught up in all the things that we can measure, uh, stats, analytics, profit, this, that, and, you know, you can't measure the feel every day and what a place feels like, but you know it when you see it. And so I just really wanted every day to to remind the players by how I acted it that they're allowed to enjoy this some. Um, because I am a, I'm a big believer that you, you can do both. You can care about winning and be competitive and care about the details and laugh and smile some and enjoy it some. Um, and so, you know, with, with a variety of guys, there's different ways you have to approach them, different things that make them laugh. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's kind of an everyday thing. Like I have to, whatever's going on with me and how I'm feeling about the team, even if I am nervous, even if I am a little bit frustrated, I have to kind of leave all that on the side and then try to present in a way that gives them that joy. Let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. get so many contributions from people because I don't think on the bingo card heading into the season I had Simone Fantecchio with a game-winning dunk at one point but this is something that you said during the season that everybody has to be ready to play mm -hmm. and not everybody's going to play every single game but how does one through 15 feel valued when they're out there on this squad yeah I think again it's sort of the everyday nature of it these guys are on the roster for a reason. You know, this is the NBA. Like, we don't just have guys on the team just as placeholders. Like, there's no no disrespect to anybody that's a walk-on, but, like, there's no walk-ons on this team. Like, every guy here is one of the top 0.5% of basketball players on the planet. And so my number one thing is making sure that they know that I know that. I know you're not playing tonight and that's frustrating because we can't play 15 people every game, but I recognize your value and I see the things that you do well. Um, 
you try to do some of that in front of the team too. So their teammates, everybody is reminded that everybody has something to offer to the team. And then an NBA season is, is always a little crazy. There's always injuries and guys out and foul trouble. And so I think as a coach, it's important to look for opportunities to keep people involved. Um, you know, maybe, Hey, we need a, we need to make a few shots and, we haven't hit a few and, you know, Fontecchio is ready to go. Like, let's get him in the game today. Um, and I think that's where, you know, I have to be flexible in my thinking every game in terms of I have a plan going in. We have a plan as a staff in terms of what generally we're going to try to do and who we might play. But sometimes in the game you have to go a different direction. And so I think doing that and having guys see that, oh yeah, coach has been saying to stay ready and he keeps throwing people in the game. So you're kind of, you know, practicing what you preach. It's one thing if I say, hey, stay ready, stay ready, stay ready. And 50 games later, you still haven't gotten in. Eventually you stop listening. Uh, so I think us trying to find opportunities to get guys in the game, it keeps them involved. It keeps them on edge in the sense of they know that all those things that I'm saying and we're saying as a staff will actually do. Um it was so fun to see all the different guys this year that had their moments, like from Kelly's game winner in New Orleans. To, ugliest game winner ever. Oh man! I mean, what do you mean? It was it was a little awkward the way that he. So beautiful finger roll. Lamped up. Uh, and the way I saw it. Um, I think you called it the ugliest game winner at one point. No, no, I said that was the the shot against the Lakers. Oh, okay. The bank yeah. three yeah, is yeah, the yeah. funniest made shot I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Um, no, but like, you know, Kelly gets that moment and Tech has the dunk at the end of the Golden State game. Um, I mean, we could go down the list, like even things like Damian Jones had his moment. Damian Jones makes second. a pair of free throws to go to overtime against the Lakers. Like Walker made big free throws to win us a game. Everybody had their their things that they contribute. You know, Jordan's had so many wild moments this year. Colin has closed some games for us with big baskets. Talon scored 40 in San Antonio and 37 or whatever it was in Charlotte. Um, you go down the list. And I think that's that to me creates a, a situation where everybody's going to really feel invested in it, where it's not, it's not the same person over and over again. Like Lowry got a lot of praise this year publicly, and I think rightfully so. He took a massive jump up. He's, you know, one of the favorites, probably him and Shea, to be most improved player, um, all-star starter. And, you know, that deserves some praise. But I think when the other guys feel like they're a part of the team and a part of what is being talked about with the team, um, it creates a really cool atmosphere every day. Because then they all start rooting for each other because nobody feels like they're left out. Like they all know they're going to have their moment or they're going to have a chance to have their moment. How did you create an environment for Lowry to have this type of season where he is one of the favorites for most improved player? Yeah, I, I think number one, we just tried our best not to put Lowry in a box. I think a lot of times as coaches we can have we put these preconceived notions in our own heads about what role a player should play um 
you see it a lot when guys come out of the draft they're pegged as like oh this is going to be his nba role and you know you have to make decisions as a coach i'm not saying you just let everybody do whatever they want but with lowry i got to watch him play with finland in the Eurobasket after we traded for him and um you're i'm watching him play and it's like he's getting the rebound and dribbling up the court and he's kind of doing a little bit of, like he's the man like he's the best player on the finnish team okay but i'm just watching him do some things where it's like i oh, didn't do that in nba games and sometimes it's easy to say yeah well he can't do that in an nba game and then why not do we know that like should we try and so i've i really feel like 50 percent of my job was to try to put him in situations where he wasn't in a box and he got to do a bunch of different things. And then the other 50% was stay out of his way and let Lowry show us what he can do. Maybe we'll learn something from him. We put him in these different situations and just kind of watch him play in them. So um, he gets, he, he should get the credit for that. Like he was so, he was so good with me and the staff early in the year about like, hey, Lowry, we're going to do these things with you that maybe you haven't done in NBA games, but I know you've done them in basketball games because I just watched you play with Finland. Um, let's see how it goes. And there's going to be moments where it's going to feel bad and it's not going to look great and it's going to take some adjusting, but let's let's see how, how you do. And he did great. And then after about 10 games, we're going, oh, that was pretty good 10 games. Maybe, maybe it was just, you know, a hot streak and then 20 games and you're going well it's now 20 games he's done that and he's looking more and more confident and then by game 50 everybody's like oh no this is real um so yeah i think it's just more about our staff trying not to pigeonhole the guys too much um lowry's obviously a huge example of that but we did it with some other guys like i mean we had kelly running pick and rolls at the end of the season and based on the guys that were guarding him it made sense, and Kelly was pretty comfortable with it. It's not something that he's done a ton in his NBA career, but I think we we enjoy um, trying to put guys in situations maybe they haven't been in a ton, maybe doing a couple things that might be counter-culture, counter-intuitive a little bit, um, and seeing how they go, and that doesn't mean they all work. You know, like we're talking about Lowry, and that one was great. You know, I'm sure there's things this year that we've done that didn't work so great, but um, yeah, we don't want to we don't want to like restrict ourselves by putting these really narrow focuses on each player and oh, this is what you do in the game. Well, I feel like that happens. A book is written on somebody into the year. Chris Dunn, great example of this, right? Where so you already give give up on this player because he was a lottery pick. He didn't. Uh, save a franchise and and win a championship his first three years in the league and then you come around and they have the right opportunity they have the right role and they flourish and mm -hmm. that happened for Lowry and Lowry and Chris Dunn in my mind are linked because they played together and because they're on the same team now yeah we're we're all guilty um in, in our own ways of labeling guys too early you know, it's one of the things I have on my desk. It's, uh, I don't have many things on my desk, but one of the things I have on my desk is never judge a player too early. Like, we have to make decisions as an organization, and I have to make decisions as a coach, and you have to live with them. 
But man, as a league, like we stamp guys at 19 and 20 all the time. Bust, stinks, terrible, can't shoot, can't like. And just on like the human level, I'm really glad that nobody stamped me at 20. Like, I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't, I'm not totally proud of the person I was at 20. It was 20 year old me, and like that was okay. But now at 35, like I've grown up a little bit since I was 20, and um, I'm glad that I got the ability to like keep growing and I get to keep trying to be a better version of myself. Now, guys don't play basketball forever professionally, so like we do have to make decisions on them. I get that, but you know, I think it, it's kind of like a lot of things in our world now, like the middle ground doesn't sell. You know, saying like, yeah, you know, he's pretty good, but maybe he needs some different situation. And, you know, maybe if he played a little differently, he would do It's like, no, you have to either be all the way over here or all the way over here. You have to say like, he's the greatest or he's a bust. Next. And I just think it's unfair to these guys um, because there's so much context that goes into being a good NBA basketball player. There's probably 10 eight guys in the league, no matter where they are, they're going to be studs. Like, pick them up from this team, put them over there, still all NBA, still unbelievable. LeBron yeah. is a great example of that. Joel Embiid, yep. Jokic, Giannis, Steph the Curry. You know. It's like, yeah. okay, Kevin Durant, yep. totally. Then there's a lot of guys that, depending on the situation around them, like how good are the role players, how good are they, or maybe they are a role player, and so who are they playing with? What's the style of play? There's a lot of context there. And so that's not popular to talk about because it actually takes time to talk about it in like a real conversation because it is this gray area, middle ground. Um, and so we we got lucky that, you know, we got the benefit of that. Like people judged Chris too early. Our staff, our front office group, they did an amazing job of really watching Chris in the G League. And they're like, you know, this guy's pretty good. Like, he looks healthy. He's playing really hard. He's improved. Like, I don't know. And we bring him in and we're all going like the second day we're looking at each other going like, how is this guy not on an NBA team? Like we play all these teams in the league and you see the rosters and you see the you're going, how is he not on a team? And it's because he got stamped and just pushed to the side. And so it's something that we're going to strive for as, as an organization. We won't always get it right um, because you do have moments that are decision moments but if we could be known as an organization that didn't judge players too early I think that would be as high a compliment as you could get Luca said that he's much more mature now going back to that maturity than he was when he met you in San Antonio I think that's that goes towards yeah it takes some time for some people and and he was a great story towards the end on a 10 day gets a contract to the end of the year yeah I mean again the context of all of it, like he comes to San Antonio, he's 19, he moved from Croatia, he's got no family, no friends there, first-round draft pick, high expectations, and he's 19. And so I just think about, like, the flip side. All right, Will, at 19, you're going to move to Croatia. Yep. <laughs> and you're going to have all this high expectation and everybody's going to be telling you that you should be this or you should be that, and none of your friends are going to be there, none of your family's going to be there. You know, the language, you're like, uh, he, his English was okay when he got to the States. Like, I just think about how I would have been in that. I'd have been terrible. Yeah. You know, I would have been 
nervous and probably a little immature and not sure of myself and all those things. And it's been fun to reconnect with him because after San Antonio, we went like a year and a half where I maybe, we maybe texted once or twice here and there, but I hadn't really talked to Luca and 30 seconds into our first conversation when he got here, it was so apparent like, oh man, like he's way more mature than he was a year and a half ago. But again, now he's 23. And so the hope is that two years from now, Luca's even more mature than he is now. But um, talent's not a question with Luca. I think anybody that's a fan of the Jazz and watched the games that he played in, like, it's very clear that he's talented and knows how to play basketball. I think we're very lucky, again, to have a guy like that in our program. Walker Kessler. Um, we haven't it, talked about him enough this year. Yeah, many people say he looks like you. You walked in, tried to dispel that very early on, that you guys don't look the same. They replaced your photo um, on Walker's stall yeah. as well as a gag. What can you say about his year? We haven't talked about him at all. Yeah, no, he hasn't been talked about at all this year. Uh, Flies under the radar, yeah, too. Doesn't get any attention. Nope. Doesn't have a nickname. Nope. Um, we are not campaigning for him for anything. No awards push. Nope, nothing. He's just a guy that's just kind of hanging out. Um, you know, I think to, to be in the situation that Walker was in when he got here, we probably didn't talk about it enough as an organization he wasn't replacing Rudy like that wasn't the intent the comparisons are gonna be natural when you have Rudy who is such a high level player and he gets traded to Minnesota and Walker is the young big that's in the trade now there's draft picks and all those things but and then Walker starts playing and it's like the comparisons become like, oh, well, is he the next Rudy? And uh, like, that's really hard to be in that spot as a rookie. Um, to kind of be filling that void or people be asking the questions very early on, like, oh, is he going to be the replacement or whatever? And it's like, he's not there yet. It's not fair, but it's the way it works. And so I think he handled it all really well. Um, he came off the bench for a lot of the first part of the year. Um, and he just kind of kept going. Um, he kept working, he kept building, he let, I mean, I'm on him constantly and it's because I think he could be really, really good. But, you know, he, like Ochai gets a lot of credit for this steady growth this year. And I think Walker had some really steady growth because his role was pretty tight and then you're a starter boom and I think he he dealt with that progression well there were nights he played 15 minutes early in the year and then he just kept getting a little bit better a little bit more sure of himself um his personality started to blossom as he got more comfortable uh, now he won't be quiet but you know was he ever I thought early in the year he was a little bit reserved. He's always, you know, he's he's got a goofy sense of humor and he's he's a funny guy. Um, but early in the year, he definitely wasn't what he is now. Um, he was a little bit more reserved, and then he got comfortable with his teammates and everybody, and they started playing well. And it, it's it's been fun to watch him um, come out of his shell. Is the wrong thing to say because I'm never sure he was fully in the shell, like you're saying. But he's 
he's really like grown into this personality that the fan base is taking to. Um, and he's a good player. So he can get a lot better. He's got a big summer ahead of him. But, um, you know, as much as I love to crush him about loving attention, I think he uh, he deserves it. Like, he's had a heck of a year. He's a really, really good player. And he's such a wonderful kid. Like, he really has such a good head on his shoulders. Um, he's polite. He's respectful. He's competitive. Um, we're going to work this summer on him not apologizing to me during the games. Um even though I kind of get a kick out of it because he's being sincere. But um, a special rookie year, but there's nothing guaranteed for the future. Like everybody projects this, oh, well, this was your rookie year. Well, imagine what year five will be. And there's plenty of guys who just don't get better. And so he has to really put the work in if he wants to get where he wants to go. And development isn't linear for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. It can go uh, in phases. Ochai, the other uh, rookie for the team that was a draft pick, Came along from the G League and then jumps in. He shoot just corner threes, and then towards the end of the year, he's starting to take uh, jump shots off the bounce. How did you see him grow from where he walks in game one to where he is at the end of the year? Yeah, the biggest thing was his his confidence level, and I think it's natural that early in the year some of that was maybe taken away you're the most outstanding player at the final four and you won the national championship and the first thing that happens in the nba is your coach tells you you're going to the g league um you know that's that would be a kind of a question mark for any player um but we felt based on how the roster was set up early in the year was the best opportunity for him to get a lot of live minutes and so i thought he approached the g league very professionally um, Scott, our G League coach, did a great job with Ochai of helping to really teach him what was going to be expected of him to play minutes for us. Then he gets some minutes for us, starts to kind of crack into the rotation, and you're right, it was pretty limited. You know, he's more of a spacer, cutting, offensive rebounding, shooting corner threes. And then he started to get confident in that role and feel good about how that role worked for him and then we had injuries and things changed in the, the year, and I just felt like it was a great opportunity for us to get him some real live minutes where we took the guardrails off a little bit and said, hey, I need you to be more aggressive and be willing to play through some mistakes. You're not chasing perfection. I think sometimes when you're a young player in kind of a role player situation of like, okay, I shoot corner threes, I cut, I rebound, you're focused on not making any mistakes. You're focused on, all right, I got to just shoot really good shots and not screw the game plan up. And then when you're in a role where you're expected to shoot 15, 20 times in a game, it's never going to be perfect. And so you have to kind of shift your mindset on that. And I thought he did a good job of that late in the year. This summer's big for him. He's going to play in summer league, assuming that he's healthy and be an opportunity for him again to be kind of the, the focal point and build on that aggressiveness because we need to take these opportunities to not let to not lose the momentum that we sort of gain with him at the end of the year are you ready for team 50 i don't know okay i mean like yes but I, it's early it's yeah, okay the season just you ended you know it's okay. hard to it's hard it's hard to just move on that quickly um i think one thing that that we will always try to maintain is that every team is their own 
entity. There will be some people that are on, you know, four, five, six, seven teams in a row, hopefully. But there's always going to be things that, that change and different circumstances and, and a few different personalities can really change the dynamic of a group. And so um, I'm really, really incredibly proud of Team 49. I thought the way that they dealt with each other, the way they dealt with a first-time head coach, and then ultimately the way that they represented themselves and the organization to our fan base this year, like that's what we want to be. I've had so many people come up to me, um, you know, in Salt Lake when I'm out and about, you know, at the grocery store or whatever, and just say, like, every person says the same thing, how much fun this team was to watch. And that shows me, one, that our guys really brought it every night and they played in a way that our fan base is proud of. And number two, that we have a fan base that appreciates good basketball. They appreciate toughness and scrappiness and uh, guys that are quitting and guys that may be imperfect at times, but just kind of push through that. So um, I will be ready for Team 50, I promise. But uh, we're still loving Team 49 at the moment. Somebody said fun is underrated. I forget who, who said that, but yeah, it was fun to watch the team this year. Appreciate it. Yeah, it was... Uh, special year one that i'll always remember for a lot of reason head coach of the utah jazz on round ball roundup on utahjazz.com will hardy thank you so much appreciate it